0: Hey everyone, so this video is going to be about love, Ahava. And we, you know, the concept of Ahava is uh, such a, you know, it's, it's one of these really, really obvious, like great things to talk about because it's so often discussed. There's so much focus on it um, just in regular life. Like, again, if you kind of remembered that a lot of, if you watched the other videos and listened to, you know, some of the different segments that we've done here, so you already know that the perspective that we're kind of working with is that the Torah is not like a religion in the sense of like, here's a bunch of things you have to believe and then just do them dogmatically. We're talking about kind of like a map of what reality is and it describes just the phenomena of your life, the experiential phenomena and the the specific practical phenomena that, that take place. And so that perspective, you know, it's not really about being a member of B'nai Yisrael, we call the Jewish people. It's really about all of reality, the whole physical world. And so, and really the whole universe, not just physical, I, I don't even wanna use that word because it's a little bit too rigid. So if we're gonna work with that as our foundational concept, which is that's what we you know, pretty much do in all these videos, and we also have a segment about that exactly, that exact point that the Torah itself is not even a religion. So then what we ca- kinda come to is, well, ahava, love, is a real phenomenon. It's not just like a, a Torah concept. It's something in which all people experience this. And if the Torah can map out for us what exactly Ahava is and how it works, then that's a seriously important you know, way of thinking, construct, perspective that you can use, that really anyone can use in the world, whether you are a part of the family of B'nai Israel or you're just, you know, or not part of that family. But it's a super important perspective, a super, super important concept to think about seriously. And that's really what you know what we're pushing for like that's what that's what I'm looking to do with all of these these segments and these ideas and these videos which is to sort of push for more serious thought and dialogue in all of these concepts um, in the Torah map of them. So we talk about Ava. So, you know, the let's just start with the problem. The problem is that it's kind of defined in a lot of different ways or maybe not, I shouldn't say a lot but like a few ways in which Ava can be defined as just the word love. And then we have to start asking what the word love means. And then some people will tell you that love is an emotion. And it's something which you just feel when you see somebody else. So if you eventually, if you, you know, have, you could have love at first sight where you could just see someone and be in love with them. You could have an accumulative love, which is where you kind of over time sort of start to develop uh, feelings of love for somebody else. And that's, you know, one uh, approach people tend to use, to describe or talk about there's poems and songs and movies that sort of perpetuate that perspective. Then you have the idea maybe that love is kind of like an intellectual construct. It's like it's a it's a perspective of some kind. You know, you have to have an intellectual love for somebody. And then there are people who say, well, really both of those are true. Like there's intellectual love, there is feelings, emotional love, and there's there's obviously acts of love you could do. So. It's kind of like, uh, you know, love is a roller coaster, it's passion, it's excitement, it's struggle, it's pain in, in a relationship of love. And these are the kinds of things that we're sort of inside of is like this space of love that we have, you know, in terms of the concept. And we sort of float around in there. And then we, you know, I think a lot, if not all of us even, are searching for love in some form. And we have a little, you know, a few different kinds of love between us and other people. And so you have, you know, you have your, your love between a man and a woman, a spousal love. and you have love between um, people who are not different genders. Like you can have uh, love of, of a friend, love of a family member who you're not married to, where there's no, in, you know, included sexual component. Um, and in the spousal arena, so there's like this assumption that love and sexual interaction are related to each other. Um, and you know, they, even that sexual interaction is actually love itself. and you know if, well, if, I, if I don't have the sexual interaction, then it's not really a real love that's you know that's 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 something people sometimes think. And then we have love of children, you know you have if you have children, so then you have a love for them and that's different from the love of a friend or love of a spouse and you know these are all different love of our parents. these are like different kinds of love. and then so now you have a situation where there's really, a lot of different things that are being said and thought and 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 discussed in regular culture and and you know regular conversation between you and other people people that you love sometimes you're talking about oh you love me you don't love me enough like you know kinds of arguments that can come from this the pain that can derive from relationships like that and the question is like well can we create some kind of order out of this like some kind of structure principle perspective that will give us a little more coherence to understanding what we mean when we say love and you know also could that could that more coherent structure help us to also use the love phenomenon more effectively more powerfully that's what i think really the problem is that we're going to be trying to solve here today in this terms of this particular video this segment which is how do you um understand love coherently clearly especially given the fact that it's so central to all of our lives. And if we do understand it clearly, so then can we use it more powerfully, more effectively in our love relationships? And so, and we're, again, we're going to be using the Torah to try to dissect that and unpack that and see what we can figure out about that. So the last piece of that also is significant, specifically because the Torah also says uh, that our relationship or our interaction or our you know connection with Hashem the source of all reality, what you know, what some people will call God in English, but what we would describe as the ultimate, endless self that is manifest as all being that you essentially are, you know, almost like living within or connected to. So um, the Torah says we're supposed to have a love relationship with Hashem, and then there's you know a serious problem there too, which is like, how do you have a love relationship with someone who you really have a hard time seeing? And you know, there's certain people in the world, there's certain approaches and cultures and perspectives that float around right now in the, you know, in the general uh, context of of cultural thought. Maybe people don't believe in God, that they don't think there is um, a guy in the sky who's watching them. And so then, well, you can't even how are you supposed to love, you know, something like that anyway, because you don't even think that it's real. Like there's this whole concept of loving God, and then like, how would you do that? Like, what's the, what's the way to even do that? Like, especially if you if you assume that love is a feeling. So then how do you even turn on feelings if you have feelings of any kind? Like, can you control those feelings? Can you determine what you're supposed to feel? Or are feelings just something which is just out of your control and you just can't just decide to feel something? So how do you deal with that problem? Which of course also has its own corollary as another problem that comes out of that, which is, well, what if you love a person but then one day, you know, you don't feel that love for them anymore or, or just that day. And then is that mean, does that mean that the relationship is now over? Like, you know, well, I don't, I, like, I don't feel feelings of love. So, like, maybe that means that now we're not in love anymore. And, like, that's the end of the situation. So these are all kind of like we can just kind of quantify all of that as trying to understand what love is clearly. And then once we understand that coherently and clearly, Then we can understand how to use it more effectively and that should have impact on the issue of well how do i a use love uh, actively to create you know a loving relationship between me and hashem and also equally importantly how do i deal with situations in which my love is now not operating the way that it did before or you know it's, it's having some kind of fluctuation how can i can i control that or can i change that or is it something which just happens and therefore love is just out of our hands so Let's start to unpack a little bit thoughtfully, carefully what exactly we understand from the Torah about the concept that we call Ahava. So first of all, I want to sort of just draw your attention to um, a couple of classic uh, writings about this. One of them, you know, we'll even just make this the main one. There's a long essay by a rabbi named Rav Dessler, who lived not too long ago, um, you know, in the in the 1900s, and he wrote a long essay in a book called *Michtav Me Eliyahu. You could check it out it's in the first volume of that book. So there's a long essay called *Kuntros HaChesed. and it's kind of like a long. It's it's like a, it's a, a, a whole like an essay like really like you know 30 pages long, and it describes how to think about Ahava, and it contrasts it with one of the mainstream cultural approaches towards Ahava. So the mainstream cultural approach in the, that he brings there in that essay. Is the example that we already mentioned, which is that generally speaking, we tend to think about love as a feeling that we have, and that certain things in our lives, certain people, certain situations, certain things, will make us feel love. So, if you have a relationship with somebody, let's say you're dating someone, you're engaged to somebody, you're married to somebody, and they make you feel very good, and you, you know, you like, like you like the the way that you feel with them. So then you're going to love them because of the way that they treat you. That's how Desser describes the classic you know, thought process culturally about love, which is that, well, I feel good about the way that you treat me. So he talks about that and he contrasts it to an alternative. He basically says, and I'm just, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but I'll, and I'll structure it in my own words. But what he basically says is, well, when you feel really good about somebody else in the relationship with you, and that, and the way that they treat you makes you feel good. So then, that's not really your love of them. That's actually your love of the way that they make you feel. In other words, what's happening there is you, you know, generally speaking, when we when we are not in a relationship with somebody, so we feel like we have less, we're less whole in a certain way. When you don't have a primary relationship, a spousal relationship like that, so then you'll feel, in a certain sense, like you don't have a full-on constant reflector person in your life that you're always interacting with, and now they can kind of get most of what your situation is, most of your deal, most of your emotional state, most of your thoughts, like basically a person who's kind of there by your side to act as a reflector towards you on a relatively consistent basis. And so you'll feel less whole in that kind of situation. And then when you suddenly find someone who you think you can will do that for you and who you will then do that for them as well, so then, and that's, when, that, when that sudden change happens, so then it leads to this very intense, almost intoxicating, euphoric experience where now you actually have another person in your life who's going to be your main person. So now wherever you go, it's always like, I have a person to tell about what I'm going through. I have a person who's going to tell me about what she's going through. I have a person that now, whatever happens to me, someone's going to care constantly. And of course like even like much more in a primary, again, not that, not that other relationships people don't care, but it's kind of like this is the first person that I call, this is the first person that she calls, like we're really always on the same, like we're in, in sync in a much more intense way, and a lot of things about me she now knows that nobody else will will know, and things that about her that no one else knows I will know, And of course, there's also, and one of those things is the sexual component, which is also very personal. So it's something which you don't do with a lot of people. You do it only with a specific person. And so these are, that whole transitions into a relationship like that. So it creates a very intense euphoric experience where it's like suddenly you feel like your whole, your whole world is like, almost like um, becomes much more intense because suddenly instead of being alone and constantly struggling with a sense of maybe I'm not special, maybe I'm not. Uh, val, you know, valid. Maybe I'm not. I'm not. I'm not worth being with. Maybe I, I'm just supposed to be alone because I'm not. I don't have actual real value. Suddenly, you have a person who, in a situation which suddenly completely reverses that and super validates you, and it's like the newness of that, of how much, um, you know, validation you experience from the from someone. Suddenly, there being someone who's who's with you in that way, it's overwhelmingly uh, contrasting with the previous situation. You're going from like. I don't have anyone and maybe I'm no, maybe I'm nobody to I have someone and now I feel like I'm somebody. And so that that shift from one to the other creates a very intense, almost like a, like a, a, an intense emotional uh, wave and, 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 uh, and also an intellectual wave, like you have a lot of you know a lot of energies that are sort of floating around inside you. and also the sexual component because it's very exciting to suddenly feel like I'm going to have a person who I can do that kind of activity with, because it's such a private, personal thing, and so it in itself is a very, um, you know, it's part of the wave of like, wow, now I'm not alone in that way too. So those components all kind of create this this wave that we're describing here, and that's what the word romance in English is usually describes, and that, const, that, that, that experience of romance is something which is very temporary because it evolves and emanates really from the contrast of I'm alone and I'm only, a, I feel fragmented to I'm with someone and now I feel more whole. And so that's something which can, can last two to three to four years where you have some level of that, you know, euphoria. But it really, like, that's really a pretty long time, you know, it's really, from, on average, I would, I would bet, I would guess, it, and we can, you know, I'm sure there are studies about this, it probably lasts about between one to two years um, after the relationship really solidifies. So, and then the question is, well, what comes after that? But the point is that those types of feelings and the waves of those experiences of, of that contrast, so that's what I think for a lot of us, a lot of a lot of the mainstream culture and, a lot, and for a lot of us in the world, is kind of what we think of when we talk about the word love. So Rav Dessler takes that and he sort of flips it around and says, well, that's not actual ahava, that's not real love. That's like, uh, it's like getting a shot of self-esteem where like, at first you didn't have so much self-esteem, you didn't feel so good about yourself. And then suddenly, bang, like suddenly your whole, you, 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 you suddenly discover that you're actually really, really special. You know, it's like, you just suddenly, that that, that shifts and changes for you. And the, the intensity of that change is like, you suddenly get a massive dose of self-esteem from that. And so you're like, wow, like now I feel so good and so much better. And that's what uh, many people associate with love and he's like that's not actually what love is that's just that's just a new self esteem and he's like that's actually very temporary because after that euphoria disappears and you know all of the the you know glasses kind of the the blinders of like wow this person is so amazing they're so, they're into me I'm into them so after that kind of comes off then you have to actually see who they are for real without having the fantasy blinders on top of that and they have to see who you are for real and then you have to actually build a connection without the euphoria. Now, again, you'll still have a lot of positive energy because it's like, well, I'm not alone. But like, you have to actually now take that positive energy and use it as motivation to actually build a genuine connection. So now we're going to describe, that's basically what Rav Desler pushes towards. Uh, and he says, well, that's what happens next. What you're supposed to do is, you're supposed to create real Ahava. So he says, how do you do that? How do you create real Ahava? So what he says is, well, the mechanics of that are that you're supposed to give to the other person. If you can give to the other person, that will create Ahava. That's his formula. Says the more you give, the more Ahava is created. Now, when I first learned this, so I was taught this, you know, a bunch of years, 15 years ago, and I was like, oh, okay, that's easy. Like, that's very mechanical. If I give to someone, it creates love. That's great. You know, it's like, that's easy to do. And so, in fact, I use that, um, that method uh, very often in my life. The tricky part about that is it doesn't really say exactly what it means to give to someone like what are you doing when you give to somebody so let's just unpack that a little more carefully and if you think about it kind of you know just a little bit uh analytically and thoughtfully so we don't just mean giving randomly like oh here let me give you something i'll i'll give i'll give you flowers um i'll buy something for you like and even and it's not even just that i give you something that you want you know it's it's actually more than that it's that when i give something to you you experience my giving as that it's coming from me personally that i'm sharing a little bit of myself in what it is that i'm giving to you that's why like you know if i want to buy my my spouse uh, flowers so if i just rigidly buy her flowers I'm like here's like i follow a formula here's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to just buy flowers for your for your loved one so i go and i buy her flowers and i give it to her like so first of all, she's going to probably detect that like it's not real. It doesn't feel so so loving or so good, whatever loving means. It doesn't feel so genuine or real. Something about it is missing. But and now and, and let's say I can make it very very. I can make it look really good. Like it really seems like I'm doing it from a place of genuineness. But for me, it's a failure. And that's what Desler basically describes. Because if I'm not giving myself into the flowers, if there's no like me being put into that and then transferred over to her. So then it's not going to create a connection between me and her as far as i'm concerned in other words my perspective will not be one of like oh now you are and i are connected so if i do it with me inside if i actually give of me inside the flowers in other words if i think of the flowers as like wow like i'm really i, I really want to make this person feel like she's special so i'm going to give her these flowers as a symbol of that so I, like i'll say that or i'll i'll write a card or and it's also true with things like you know if i buy if i buy her other things like can buy her, um just present of any kind or i do something nice for her you know I, I i don't know park her car for her or something like whatever it is that i'm doing for her if she, if i do it from a place of genuine like i'm trying to give of myself to you so i'm putting a little bit of myself inside of that act or inside of that thing that i'm giving and then that's what creates this bridge where now i kind of extend a part of myself all the way across to her and then it like connects us like that and that's what of desert basically describes when you do it that way that's what creates ahava so when you think about that a little carefully, so what exactly does that tell us about what Ahava really is? You see, because the feelings of the initial phase, like the the romance feelings, so those things are kind of just flux. They're just you know intense fluctuations inside of your your setup of this character as a result of the contrast. But like then when you kind of go into this situation, so let's say you now try to give to each other in that way. Well, what does that create exactly? Like what does that do? So what it seems to be doing is, it the one who is giving. And assuming that it is, you know, whether, whether it's received properly or not, the one who is giving experiences the other person as kind of like an extension or like that there's a bridge bridging between the giver and the receiver. And if you think about that, like just as an analogy, right, let's say you decide and this because this works even with even with something which is not a person. Let's say you decide you want to build something. So you want to build, I don't know, a, a, a table. So you, you know, you go onto YouTube, you watch a video, how to build a table, get all the parts, and you, you know, you go to a lumber mill or you go to Home Depot or whatever, and you get all the parts, and then you make a plan how to do it, you measure it out, and you spend like a month doing this, and you build this beautiful dining room table on your own, you know, without any, any, uh, besides the instructions from YouTube. So this is your project that you spent time uh, creating. And then, you know, you, um, let's say you're moving. And the, moving, and the movers, by mistake, they, they forget to unload the dining room table that you made. And they take it somewhere else, and then it gets lost, and then it gets taken to a warehouse where there's all these other dining room tables and other lost furniture. And you go there, and like you're, you know, they ask them what happened to it, They're like, oh, it's this warehouse. So you go there, and like, you go to the person in charge, and he's like, yeah, well, we have all these dining room tables here. You could just take any one of them, because you know most of them are lost anyway. And you're like, well, I don't want any of those other ones. Like, I want my table, the one that I made. And the guy's like, well, why? It's like they're all just pieces of wood in the shape of tables. What difference does that make? And it's like, that's a good question. Like, what exactly does it mean when you have sentimental attachment to something? So think about that carefully. What it seems to mean is that the more you invest of yourself into something or someone, the more you look at that someone or something as if they are part of you. So there's like, you know, you, it's like if this is if this is me, this thing, which, you know, if you saw the Neshama video, you already know that this is kind of like the tools that I use. But like these are my tools, you know. This is the, the Zev Bennett set of tools. So then, like, if I invest myself into something else, let's say I make this pillow. This pillow is getting famous in these videos. I keep bringing it into the video as a as a prop. So let's say I made this pillow. So now this pillow is kind of like an extension of the the me that I think of in terms of you know my whole sphere of being. And it's like you know, if you buy a house, it's like that's my house. If You buy a car, like that's my car. You have this experience of things being kind of like a part of you even if they're not actually part of the actual tools that you tend to use so that's what happens when you invest yourself into things and, it's, and also into people the thing about with about doing that with people though is that there the the potential for that that connection dynamic to happen and the intensity of that dynamic is very 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 um, it's magnified dramatically and the reason is because it's two-way in other words if I share myself in that way and I invest in you in that way so then that creates a situation where now I experience you as you know kind of like more a part of me and if, when you receive that from me assuming you choose to receive it properly assuming you develop an awareness that I am sharing that with you then you do it back towards me and it makes us kind of we build this this two-way dynamic energy of sharing with each other where we each are constantly trying to extend ourselves across the gap to create this kind of bridge And connection and the more intensely you do that the more over time you'll experience the other person more and more and more and more deeply as a part of yourself and that's something which you know you can really really foster that over time now when you think about that carefully so what does that really tell you about the nature of ahava that's what ahava is so it tells you first of all that ahava seems to be this bridge or connection you know network between you and another person so if we go kind of a little deeper underneath that and sort of take that a little further so so you could sort of see just by using the the dining room table example contrasting it with a spousal example that this is actually true for any relationship that you have in other words whether you have a relationship with your dining room table a sentimental one or you have a relationship with another person a spouse or a child or a friend or anyone else a parent whatever it is so according to the amount that you share of yourself Give of yourself in a genuine way and invest uh, yourself into the into this other person, into the relationship in that way. So the more connection bridgings you will create with that other self. So if that's true, so then now let's just kind of think about that in terms of like what the coherent structure is. If we have to say a definition of what Ahava actually is, the definition would seem to be that Ahava is connection or closeness with another person or another self. Uh, now, and or really with anything, but let's say the most um, uh, intense versions of that kind of connection is with other selves. And let's go a little further for a second. Well, what does that mean, a connection with another self? Like, where does that connection actually happen? Where does that take place? So like, can you see the connection? Is it like visible bridges? Obviously not, you don't see any bridges between you and the other person that you have Ahava with. So what exactly is that then? Well. If you think about that for a second, that just sort of takes place inside of your mind. Now, the Torah uses the word da'as. The word da'at, da'as, means your perceptions, to describe the place that this happens. It's not really in a literal place, obviously, but your mind is a conceptual place you could think of. But it's almost like, if you could just put on a pair of glasses, and then you could have these glasses that would reveal the interconnections between you and other selves you'd see these bridges these little these glowing strings that link you to the other person so you could think of it as a perception of the bridges and connections that you create with your actions of sharing and of giving and of investing and so that's the definition of ahava that the torah essentially is describing ahava means a perception of connections of bridges between you and another self and you can have as we are essentially what we're trying to say, you can have qualitatively different amounts, intensities, you know, types of connections with somebody else. So let's say with your child, you, you know, that, that's, a, that's a that's a very interesting example because with a child, you actually invest tremendous amounts of yourself into your child, definitely in the initial phase of the relationship. Um, that's where parents invest really the most of themselves in a certain kind of way because it's so um, forced. You're basically forced to constantly um, you know, sh- take care of and share what you are, and invest what you are into this kid. If you're up at 2 a.m. and like you are changing a kid's diaper because you know they are one years old or or six months old, and you're not sleeping because of that, so you are now taking your own, you know, your own wants, the things you're interested in. You're interested in sleeping in that situation, and you're basically saying, well, even though this is what I want, I'm going to now invest myself into this person instead. Instead of investing myself into myself, I'm going to invest myself into this person, and so that creates a tremendous amount of perception of connection with a child ironically with a child the child doesn't have that same uh, perception in reverse for a long time because children generally have a hard time especially in the early phases of their lives actually sharing of themselves with you in response so you actually have a lot of one-way bridges and connections being formed there uh, which causes a lot of interesting dynamics between parents and kids which is why parents and kids sometimes have a lot of struggles in their relationships which is its own discussion just how to deal parents and kids but just to realize that that's how you form uh, the connections between you and a child so there's like specific types of actions with a child, you would share yourself, let's say a six month old, by the ways we just explained, you would change diapers, you would provide food, you would, you know, uh, do medical care, whatever other uh, physical care is required, uh, which in terms of also the money you have to spend in order to do that you simply give your all. To this kid and it creates those kinds of connections through those sorts of actions and then with a spouse so then you also you have many different kinds of ways that you create those kinds of bridges whether it's by sharing ideas it's listening is a big one just sitting back and receiving uh, your spouse sharing their own ideas is actually a form of giving because now you're giving of your of your time and your attention to them and that makes you love them more it makes you have more ahava of them more perception of connections with them and then, of course, there's also the the there's all kinds of other nice things you could do where you share of yourself. And in the sexual arena, there's also a lot of things there because it's sec- the the sexual arena is a, is a set of actions that are specific to a marriage relationship. And there, there are things that each person wants because people enjoy the sexual sensations of their own body. But when you decide instead of focusing and investing in your own sexual sensations, you decide to focus on the sensations of the other person. So that's also a very fertile ground for for um for investing and giving of yourself towards the other person so and that's true with every relation there's always there's always essentially ways that you can create more connection bridges with between you and somebody else by investing in the relationship in these kinds of ways so this is pretty much of desor's framework and i think this really sort of captures um how to think about Ahava in a very clear way. I, I would even define the word ahava. It seems to really mean the word have, which is the second part of the word. It's ahav is the root. So have seems to it means to give. And ahav sounds like it might mean something like I give. You know, like I giveness would probably be the best translation of the word ahava. Because what you're doing is you're giving the I, the self, into the situation. So it's a verb of I giveness. So you know if you're writing it like iPhone, would be a little I and then Capital G-I-Giveness. That would be the translation of the word Ahava as a suggestion. But, you know, the, the, the upshot of all this is that's the structure. In other words, the structure of Ahava is the, the perception of bridges and connections between you and another self that you build by giving of yourself towards them. And then that, that kind of solves a couple of our problems. First of all, it tells us that Ahava is something which um, is a perception. In other words, something which you kind of see, it's invisible, but you can kind of see it. And then it leads to all kinds of emotions because perceptions are the root of our emotions. So if you perceive someone as your beloved and you're connected to them, then that means that if they um, are living in sync and harmony with you, then you're gonna feel a lot of, probably will feel a lot of positive feelings. And then if they are living in conflict with you, you're gonna care and it's gonna hurt you. And then there are also days where you have a hard time seeing them because since you're close to them, there's a lot of connections, so you can't really see them so clearly And then it actually means that now everything about them is kind of blurry, sort of taking them for granted. And then you don't even feel anything because you're not really seeing them so clearly with your Ahava lenses. But that doesn't matter because you still know that there is a perception of connection there. And all you have to do to kind of recreate it is sort of like try to step back a little bit and then invest in the relationship to sort of fix that. And That's really a longer discussion about Ahava um, you know can there be too much ahava? can you be too connected too much into each other? And that's a situation that where it starts getting unhealthy where you're now getting you can get too dependent on each other and that's also an issue but that's you know that's kind of beyond the definitional stage of analyzing Ava. It's more the practical and sort of like the the permutations of what can happen when you use ahava in your life. So that's how you would create it and then, you know you sort of take that to Hashem well if Hashem is just kind of like another self that's behind all of reality well that seems that that would imply that the way to create Ahava with Hashem is to actually invest yourself in Hashem so that means to think about well how do I do that how do I invest myself in Hashem so first of all we now know that you know when the Torah says you're supposed to love Hashem it doesn't mean you should just have feelings it means you should have ahava so it means you should have i givenness towards hashem and then the question is well how do you do that well if you want to give to another person you have to learn about them you have to understand you have to listen you have to try to hear what they're about what their deal is what their thoughts are what kinds of things they like and then accordingly invest yourself instead of an, instead of investing yourself in yourself invest yourself in what they're into at least you know some of the time and that will create a bridge that's also true with hashem because you can listen to hashem hear what hashem wants what is what is hashem into and then you can give of yourself what to Hashem the things that Hashem wants. Now, I think people have a very hard time with this often because they think, well, does God really want anything? The answer is yes. Hashem wants certain things. And we can have a discussion, we will have a discussion in other videos about why and how is that possible for you know Hashem, who is the source of all being, to actually care about something that is in being. That's actually there are things that are important to Hashem. But the short answer is there are things that Hashem wants, and he's telling you about them. That's what the Torah actually is. It's Hashem telling you what it is that he wants. And when you learn Torah deeply and you listen to what it is that Hashem's saying, not listen like do what he says because he's the boss. You listen to him the way you listen to your spouse and try to actually hear what Hashem wants and then you try to give that to Hashem. That's how you create real avah with Hashem. And in the beginning you might feel a little bit like confused about that, maybe like, you know, it's it's not as it's, it seems a little bit not intuitive because, you know, with your spouse, you can usually see her, so, but, or him. But, um, but with Hashem, like, it seems like it's not, not exactly like that. But just like with your spouse, in the beginning, it's a little awkward. Like, it takes a while to get into a good rhythm. With Hashem, it's exactly the same. The more you kind of do this properly and you listen to Hashem and try to take in and learn about what Hashem wants, which is all the Torah, all the Gemara, that's literally what it is that those books are about. And then you try to give that to Hashem, you will create ahava between you and Hashem you will love Hashem and Hashem is constantly loving you because Hashem is always sharing himself with you and giving you what you care about everything in your life is Hashem doing that and it's also a little bit of a longer discussion but that is how you can create a a reciprocal where you can start to reciprocate back to Hashem the way that you would want your child to eventually reciprocate to you you can reciprocate to Hashem and give Hashem the things that Hashem wants just like um you know you'd give to somebody else that you love and by doing that you actually create more perceptions of closeness of connection of bridges between you and hashem just like you do with other people hope that was relatively clear and we're gonna have some more follow-ups on this just in other videos about you know how to see ahava in other ways in the world but as a beginning and as a primer as a uh, core definition i hope this was helpful and uh, clear looking forward to seeing you on the channel